Well, we're in a series today called Desperation, and I want to talk to you about a, a godly, desperate mother. We started this series last week where we were looking at the idea that God is actually drawn to our desperation. And today we're going to look at the story of a desperate mother who was living in a tough time and facing some tough choices. And by the way, this is not just for mothers. You may be living in a tough time. You may be facing some tough choices. It might be a desperate situation for you, and we can learn a lot from this desperate mother. And the story is told in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. That's in the Old Testament. If you'll look for 2 Kings chapter 4. If you come to the book of Psalms, go to the left, and you'll eventually get over to 2 Kings chapter 4. As you're turning there, let, let me just remind you that on a day like today, it's obvious that we want to celebrate the joys of motherhood, but there's no doubt that mothers understand anxious days of desperation. They know what it's like to feel worn out. They know what it's like to feel helpless. They know what it's like sometimes to even feel hopeless over situation facing their families. I know it's a blessing to be a mom. It's a blessing to be a mother. But it's a blessing that often pushes you, doesn't it? It pushes you to your physical, mental, and emotional limits. It's doing everything you can to raise your kids well. And you want to raise your kids well. And you pour your life into raising your kids well. But it's also the realization that not everything is under your control. That's a hard lesson to learn, that not everything is under your control. There can be a lot of desperation in motherhood, especially as it relates to family and finances. A lot of desperation in our lives, in our families, but especially for moms as it relates to family and finances. Now, in our text today, we find the story of a mother who desperately needed a financial miracle for her family. I want you to read with me 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll read the first seven verses and get the story, and then we're going to pray, and, and then we're going to take the story apart verse by verse. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Would you join me as we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you give us insight into this text? Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word? I pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, speak to us in a, in a 
way that is so clear, so undeniable, that we might respond to you, that we might be convicted by your word and also be comforted by it as well. Direct our hearts and direct our path as we look at this text, this story of a desperate mother. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to take this story and go verse by verse with you and then make some application at the end. And as we look at this story, I want you to notice in the first two verses that it gives us some very important information to understanding the situation that this desperate mother was facing. First of all, according to verse 1, she was desperate. Her husband had recently died. She was left lonely and grief-stricken. Some of you ladies know what that's like. You know the pain of losing your husband. That was the story for her. And in the midst of her grief, something else happened. Something that magnified the loneliness that she felt. In the midst of her grief, her late husband's creditor came to see her and told her that there was a bill that needed to be paid. It was a bill that she could not pay. It was an amount that she could never pay. And she didn't have the money to do it. She didn't have the money if she wanted to, to pay this bill. And this heartless creditor planned to take her sons as slaves to pay the debt. Now, let that sink in for a moment. She's lost her husband. Now she's about to lose her two sons. She, she's lost the man that she spent a good part of her life with. She's lost the man that she's loved. And now because she's in a financial crisis... She's about probably to lose her home and definitely lose her sons as well. Now, you need to understand the Mosaic law permitted uh, a creditor to, to make someone come work for him to pay off a debt. The Mosaic law did permit that, but they were to be treated as a hired hand. They were to be treated as temporary laborers. But that system was often abused. And apparently that was the case with this creditor. Look at verse 1. It says, The wife of a man of the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor, the, the man he owed money to, is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Not as temporary work. Not as a hired hand. But, but now he's coming to take my two boys as slaves. Here's a mother in a desperate situation. She had lost her husband. She had lost the man she loved so dearly, and now she was about to lose the two boys as well. Not only was she desperate, though, but she was also destitute. Her husband had died penniless. There's no life insurance to fall back on. There was no social security. There was no money stashed away for a rainy day. There wasn't even any food in the house. The cabinets were bare. She was destitute. Look in verse 2, it tells us that. Eliza replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The woman, or the, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. So here's a lady who not only had a debt she couldn't pay, but she didn't even have any food to eat. She didn't have any money to buy anything with. And when the prophet asked her, what do you have in your house? What's in your cabinets? We would say today, what's in your refrigerator? She said, there's nothing there. It's empty. Except, she said, for a little bit of oil in one jar. Now, this is where the story takes an unusual twist. I want you to follow with me closely. Beginning in verse 3. Elisha said to her, look at verse 3 and 4. Elisha said to her, 
Go around and ask all your neighbors for what, church? For empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now, can we get honest for a moment? Does this make sense to you? He's saying, now, here's what you need to do. Here's how you can fix your problem. I know that you don't have anything in your house. I know the only thing you have is, is one jar with a little bit of oil in it. Now, here's how we're going to fix your problem. I want you to go around and talk to all your neighbors, and I want you to ask them for empty jars. I mean, our solution would be go to the neighbors and ask them for full jars, right? That makes sense. We'll go to the neighbors. We'll see if they can spare some oil. We'll, we'll see if they can share some of what they've got. And so we would go ask for full jars. We would never go ask for empty jars. But God's ways and man's ways are often different. She didn't have enough oil to fill even one vessel, much less all the other jars that she was collecting. So what in the world is happening here? I mean, think of what it must have been like to walk down the street, knocking on each door and asking if they have any empty jars. Think of what it must have been like for the people who say, well, well, sure, but, but what do you need it for? Um, well, uh, I need to pour some oil in it. Knowing in her heart that all she had was a little bit of oil left at the house. How foolish that must, must have felt as she tried to explain why she needed empty jars. I don't know about you, but if it was me, I think about the second or third house, I would probably start saying to myself, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I don't need all of these jars. They're empty. I believe Elisha must have anticipated that because it says in verse 3 that he told the lady, don't ask for just a few. And listen, listen, ma'am, when you go out there and you start knocking on doors... Don't ask for just a few. You need to gather all the jars you can. You see, if we're not careful, listen to this church, listen over the life center. If we're not careful, we can talk ourselves out of our faith. If we're not careful, we can talk ourselves out of believing that God can do something to meet our needs. Children of Israel did this on the edge of the promised land. They saw that God was giving them a God-sized blessing, but they talked themselves into disbelieving God. You see, what we see in this story is a story of a desperate woman, a desperate mother, and God is pushing her in a direction where she has to have faith as she collects empty jars. One of the things that you learn as you read your Bible is that there's kind of a method to a miracle in the Bible. There's often a method to the miracles you see in the Scriptures. Basically, the method to the miracle is often this. You prepare for the miracle, and then God produces it. Hey, that's an important statement there. You prepare for the miracle, and then God produces it. You do what you can, and then God does what only He can. It's exactly what's happening with the empty jars. I want you to go to all the houses, get all the empty jars you can. You prepare for the miracle. And then I'll do the miracle, God was saying. Now, church, listen to me. That's been a method throughout Scripture. 
You see, Joshua told the priests in the Old Testament, he said, listen, you go down to that swollen Jordan River and you step into that swollen Jordan River and when you step into it, then the waters are going to part. It's always, not always, but often that type of method to the miracles in the Bible. At the wedding at the Cana of Galilee, Jesus said to the guys, take that water and pour it into these containers. And when they poured the water into the containers, that's when it became, the water became wine. There's a method to the miracle. You prepare for it, God produces it. The disciples saw this when they one day uh, were with Jesus. He was teaching this large crowd. He said, I want you to go out and find everything that you can so that we can feed this crowd. And they came back and they did that, but they came back with one lunch. And he used the one lunch then to create 5,000 lunches. They prepared for the miracle. They gathered what they could. And then Jesus produced the miracle. Now, the problem that sometimes we have is that we just want the miracle. We don't want to have to prepare for it. We don't want to have to believe God for it. We don't want to have to go out and ask for empty jars. Look in verse 5. It's a great, great verse. Verse 5. She left him, she left the prophet, and afterward, that is after she had collected the jars, after she and her sons had gone door to door, collecting empty jars, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. You see, here's what you need to understand. This is so good, don't miss this. Whenever they were out collecting the empty jars, they were doing more than collecting empty jars. They were exercising their faith. Elijah demanded that she act on this faith, and, and, and the essence of faith is obedience. So when they were knocking on doors, going from this house to that house to that house to that house, asking for empty jars. They were not just gathering jars. They were exercising their faith. They were demonstrating their obedience. Maybe that God put you in that situation as well. Situation where you have to exercise your faith and demonstrate your obedience. Now there, there's a phrase in verse 5 I want to make sure you get. You might even want to underline it in your Bible there's a phrase in verse 5 that, that just intrigues me and delights me. It, let's read the verse again. I'll show you the phrase. Verse 5, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and, and here's the phrase, she kept pouring. She kept pouring. Can you get this picture in your mind? She, she takes the first empty jar. And she has that little bit of oil, and she pours into that jar, and she keeps pouring. She keeps pouring. And her eyes must have gotten large as she sees that jar begin to fill up with oil she did not have. And she sets that jar aside, and she gets a second empty jar, and she kept pouring, and she watched that jar fill up from this little bit of oil. and I don't, How did that happen, Pastor? I don't know, except it was a miracle of God. 
But she kept pouring and she kept pouring and she got another jar and she kept pouring and she filled it up and got another jar and she kept pouring and she kept pouring. And listen to this. She saw a miracle of God unfold before her very eyes. Someone has said that miracles take place when divine resources meet human needs. Miracles take place when divine resources meet human needs. A miracle is something that defies natural explanation. It's something only God can do. And then there's this other important verse, verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then, then she stopped pouring, didn't she? Then the oil stopped flowing. You see, God's supply was as large as the woman's faith. When the jars ran out, the oil ran out. God filled as many jars as they had the faith to bring. I love the fact that, the, that God was not limited. They were limiting what the blessing would be by the number of jars that they collected. The oil didn't stop until the jars were no longer available. It makes me wonder sometimes if I ever limit God and what He wants to do in my life. Oh, I'm grateful for God's blessings. I'm grateful for God's graciousness. I'm grateful for God's goodness. But maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes I limit God's blessings in my life by limiting how far I go with Him in obedience. I mean, think about this. Is it His ability or our actions that limit His blessings in our lives? Is it His willingness or is it our work that limits His blessings in our lives? Is it His faithfulness? Or is it my faith that limits God's blessings? So, as we understand the story of this desperate, destitute woman, I simply want to make three observations and apply it to your life. Things that I think you can relate to, whether you're a mother or not. Things that, that if you look at the story, you might find yourself in the middle of this story. And so let's look at the text and try to make some applications from this desperate mother. Here's the first one that is so obvious, but I want to make sure you get it. Here's the first application. Life can be brutal. Can I get an amen? Life can be brutal. You see, this godly woman was fighting three battles. She was fighting the battle of grief. She lost her husband. She was fighting the battle of bankruptcy. She was penniless and had a debt she could not pay. And she was fighting the battle of fear, worried that her two sons would be sold into slavery. What battles are you fighting right now? Life can be brutal like that. Sometimes it's not just one battle, but it's multiple battles that come into our lives. Financial battles and physical battles and family battles. And, 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 and life can be brutal. Anybody else found that to be true? Life can be brutal. I read the true story just this week of, of a lady named Sally. Sally, her husband was a prominent pastor. She was a preacher's wife. Her husband was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Swannanoa, North Carolina. Preached all over the United States. Preached for some Billy Graham events. Had some connections there and and just a prominent pastor at a First Baptist Church in North Carolina, and in his early 50s, he got cancer. It was an aggressive form of cancer, and before long, he died. And he left behind Sally, 
and his two daughters. What we don't realize sometimes is when a pastor's wife loses her husband like that, when a pastor's wife, when her husband dies, she not only loses her husband, she loses her pastor. She's got nobody else to turn to. And in the midst of that grief and in the midst of that sorrow, Sally began to have financial problems. And in the midst of all of that, Sally's, one of Sally's daughters, Mary, began, began to turn away from God and began to turn away from the church. And Sally suddenly found that she was losing her own identity because she had always been the pastor's wife. And now she wasn't. Another pastor wrote to Sally to say, hey, I just wanted to check on you. Send her an email. Said, I just want to check on you, see how you're doing. It took about three months before she responded. She finally wrote back to him, and I want to read to you her email. She said, life has been awful. Mary, that is her daughter, Mary's husband tried to kill her right after Thanksgiving. I got a call at 2 a.m. from a hospital chaplain. It was like a nightmare. Her husband's been in jail ever since, but, it, but it's due to get out in February. He told her he'd kill her when he gets out. The chief judge told her to take a self-defense class and get a gun. How's that for our system? She and her two babies have been hiding, and, and then they went to another place, and now they're in a government-subsidized apartment. We've all been sick through Christmas and since. The back door neighbor's huge tree fell on my house on December the 30th when Emily, her other daughter, and her fiancé David and I were at church singing the Hallelujah Chorus. A tree fell on their house. She said, if we'd been there, we probably would have been killed. It took out, two, uh, it took out my new room and my fence. And Jerry and I had tried for years to get our neighbors to cut that tree, but they like trees. She said... When the storm came, it blew it over, and it burst, busted through the roof. She said, the only thing that was left in that room was a little sign from my Bethlehem nativity that said, be still and know that I am God. She said, I know that, but I still feel like I'm about to go under. She said, for weeks, the floor, the ceiling, the roof was all gone. That I'm finally getting someone over to work on the, the ceiling and the roof and repair that. And then last Tuesday night, I passed out while driving in, in, in Asheville. She said, it's a miracle I didn't kill anybody. They thought I was having a stroke or a heart attack. It was finally determined that it was a panic attack, which was migraine related. The doctor said I needed to get... I needed to rid my life of stress and to sleep more and walk two miles a day. And the following Saturday, my brother's grandbaby had a two-hour seizure. And I was in the ICU. Uh, he was in the ICU on a ventilator in Florida. That same night, Mary was taken to the hospital uh, ER with a blood clot. I was trying to get out the door on a Sunday morning and drive for the first time since Tuesday to get the babies when my cell phone rang. It was Emily's fiancé calling to say that she was in the ER in Virginia. I thought I'd just drop dead. Four of our family members were in the hospital in a six-day period. We're all back home now, starting to get better, but we're not 100%. It's been very tedious, but you asked how we are, and now I've probably told you more than you wanted to know. And then this dear lady had someone come to her and tell her 
You know, the Bible says joy comes in the morning. And her response was, I know that. I just didn't know how long the night would be. I just didn't know how long the night would be. Life can be brutal. It was for this destitute woman. It was for Sally. And it may be for you. Let's be honest. There is so much of life we can't control. There is so much of life that just happens. And we have to deal with the carnage. But at the same time, even though life can be brutal, that is often what drives us to a deeper trust in God. If you look at verse 3 and verse 5, we don't have the time to read it again, but if you look in verse 3 and verse 5, that's where Elisha said, you need to get empty jars. And then they close the door behind them, and this woman and her two sons take these empty jars, and all of a sudden, they're demonstrating a trust in God they've never demonstrated before. And they start to see God do something they've never seen God do before. And I'm here to tell you that when life is brutal, God can work in your life in a way you've never seen Him work before. And you'll learn some things about God's provision and God's power that you've never seen before. I mean, it's not like this lady had gone to a class in Sunday school and said, Oh, I know the lesson of the empty jars. Yeah, let's go get some, I know how that works, let's go get some empty jars. No, this was all foreign to her. This was all difficult for her. This, this didn't make sense. Brings us to the second lesson. Not only is life brutal, but number two, there will never be a time when heaven can't meet you at your point of need. What I mean by that is this, there, there's no problem that's outside the boundaries of God's power. The widow was desperate and she was destitute, but her problem was still not too big for God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's just never going to be a time in your life when heaven can't meet you at your point of need. I don't know what your point of need is. It may be different from the people sitting around you, but God can meet you at that very point of need. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. I want you to think about that the next time you're you're struggling with something. Next time you're filled with doubt. The next time you're filled with fear. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And then Jeremiah goes on to say, nothing is too hard for you. You need to find that in your Bible. You need to underline those words. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 17. And then later in the chapter, God responds to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is praying, God, you're sovereign, you're Lord. You've created heavens and the earth. And, and, and because I see that, I realize nothing is too hard for you. That, that was what he was praying. And then in verse 26 and verse 27, God responds to his prayer. And this is what God says back to him. God says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? I know you've just said nothing is too hard for me, but, but, but that, that raises a question, doesn't it? Is anything too hard for me? You may be facing an issue that's totally beyond your control, but it is never beyond His control. Is anything too hard 
for the Lord Almighty? Do you, do you think it really is hard for God to fill empty jars? I mean, do you really think that's, that's a struggle for God to fill empty jars? What about your empty life? What about your empty heart? You really think that's too hard for God? God can always meet you at your point of need. When you're destitute and when you're desperate, the Lord Almighty, the one who made heaven and earth, is still available to you. And the number of zeros on the amount of money that you need doesn't make it too hard for God. The medical odds that, that are affecting the care that you might be getting doesn't make it too hard for God. The number of people you're up, up against in your struggles at work doesn't make it too hard for God. You can never get to a place where God says, well, that one's, that, that one's above my pay grade. You'll never get to that place with God. There's lots of problems I can't handle. There's lots of problems I can't solve. There's lots of issues I, I just don't have the answer for. But I'm awful glad that I'll never go to a God and, and He says, I don't know what to do, Keith. I just don't know what to do. Heaven will always be able to meet you at your point of need. Here's a third lesson from this destitute, desperate mother. Number three. Take God at His word and step out in faith. Take God at His word and step out in faith. I've got to warn you, faith sometimes makes you look foolish. It really does. Or at least it makes you feel foolish. You may not look foolish, but it'll make you feel foolish. Again, you're going door to door and you're asking for empty jars. That doesn't make sense. That's not logical. And people are asking, why? What is that all about? It's about believing what God says, and it's about obeying what God says. You see, I'm really convinced that had Elijah wanted to, he, he could have said, what do you have in your house? She said, I, I've got one little jar nearly empty of oil. If Elijah wanted to, he could have said, go back inside, there's 50 jars waiting on you. He could have done that. God could have done that. She would have demonstrated no faith. She would have demonstrated no obedience. So Elijah said, you go out. Let me see your faith. Demonstrate your obedience. Go get some empty jars. And let's see what God will do. You know, uh, obedience to God sometimes is a great risk. But can I tell you a greater risk? A greater risk is holding on to the sensible and missing the supernatural. Holding on to what makes sense and missing what God could have done. What do you need to do to get ready for God to do a miracle in your life? What do you need to do for God to do a miracle in your family? You just need to be in the Word and you need to listen for God to speak to you. And you need to obey what He says. I'm not talking about some kind of a name it and claim it junk. I'm not talking about, oh, you get this idea and, and you've, you've thought it up and you're going to believe God for it. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're meeting with God on a daily basis and you're in God's Word and God is starting to speak to you about your issue, about your struggle, about your need. And as God speaks to you, if you will demonstrate your faith, if you will demonstrate your obedience, then you can expect God to do a miracle in your life too. 
God's not a vending machine. But He is a loving Heavenly Father who says, trust me with this. Let me help you with this. Bow with me for prayer. You know, for all of us, I think the tendency sometimes is to overestimate the problem and underestimate God. Overestimate the, the difficulty and underestimate His power. Today, maybe this invitation is just a chance for you to start acting like God's going to do something to meet your need. It's a chance to demonstrate your faith and start praying like God's going to do something. To meet your need. Today in this time of invitation. It's your opportunity to say Lord. I want to walk with you on a daily basis. I want to hear your voice. And I want to step out in obedience. When you speak. Minister to my need. And to my family. As only you can. Father we pray that in Jesus name. For any desperate person here, anybody going through a desperate situation, whether it's financial or physical or something within their family, something they're struggling with at work, maybe a, an ongoing problem that they haven't been able to solve, we, we pray that in the midst of their desperation, it would drive them to a deeper trust and a deeper obedience to you. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.